Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, the older I get, I'm only 27, but in the more sports I play, the more I see a need to stretch before I do any kind of activity or I regret it. But we're going to talk about a different type of stretching today. And before we do that, Dr. Woodward, how are you? Well, I feel that I am being stretched continuously as I am having the privilege of teaching scriptures and uh, science and theology and apologetics. And, and I just have a joy that goes with the stretching. Uh, and that's uh, knowing people like you, Nick. I appreciate all the great job you've been doing, uh, heading up the technical side of our program. You're doing a, uh, an A-plus job. Keep it up. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So today on The Universe Next Door, uh, are we good to dive into the actual, literal, like space and time around this kind of universe? Do I have your permission? I think that would be awesome. Well, today we're going to try to plumb the depths of modern cosmology and do it with an eye to scripture, which is kind of spooky or weird and eerie in the sense that it's almost like scripture was telling us, especially the Old Testament passages that we will read, about five or six of them, uh, was telling us two, no more like 2,500 to 3,000 years ago, what the basic status of the universe was, that it was not just static, sitting there, uh, shining out light in every direction from each of the trillions of stars, from the 100 or 200 or 500 billion galaxies. That's amazing in and of itself, but that the universe actually was in a state of steady expansion, of growth and volume, if you will, and that whole process of expansion traces its um, origin back to God speaking the universe into existence from a higher uh, platform, a a beyond space and time realm in which God and his triune uh, unity and the wondrous fellowship that God experiences in that uh, trio of persons, the fathers, the son, the spirit, that joyous uh, dance that they had from eternity past beyond space and time they decided to create a universe and to create beings like us who could enjoy that fellowship and enter the dance. We've all been invited to the dance. So I think uh, if it's okay with you, Nick, I'm just going to go take us right back to scripture and then talk about how the, the lineup with modern science is amazing. Are we good? Oh, yeah. I don't think that topic ever gets old. Well, I mean, I must say that I have been a fan of astronomy since I was in my, I would say, preteen level of education, but especially when I hit the teens and America was entering space gangbusters style with the Mercury and then the Gemini and finally the three-man Apollo missions that were circling the earth and then heading out to the moon. And I was uh, at the end of my freshman year in college, just a brand new baby Christian uh, in July of 1969, as we landed on the moon 
And that was uh, an amazing adventure, which then led to many other missions uh, and the return of all kinds of space rocks or moon rocks, I could say in that particular case. But some of the rocks that have come into the earth that have been dug up from like the snows of Antarctic glaciers have been found to have arrived even from Mars. So it's, it's really cool to see, you know, meteors uh, going through the sky. But then when you look at a meteorite, the actual chunk of space rock that's arrived that we can analyze, it's great that we can do this kind of advanced analysis, not on the, just the stuff of the universe, but actually see the dynamic growth of it. And so this whole story, the science story, I was made aware of it in my high school years because that's when the microwave background radiation was discovered uh, through the work of Penzias and Wilson at the Bell Labs there in New Jersey. But before we go into that, I want to just take us through a quick jog through scriptures, because I think it's amazing that the foundation of modern cosmology that you see laid in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and then on through today, especially in the 1990s, when the Hubble Space Telescope added its insights and its discoveries on top of everything else, we see a backdrop of science in scripture. And of course, we could start if we wanted with Psalm 8. Psalm 8, of course, is the amazing psalm where the writer, King David, is exalting in the brilliance of God's creation, and specifically the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars. So I'm going to begin by reading a bit of Psalm 8. And it says at the beginning, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And then the, the key uh, verses in three and following. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. And then I'll just jump to the last verse, verse 9. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Some of us may have actually sung those words uh, in a song that became popular some years ago. And so what I would say is that this um, powerful psalm, the only one that really brings in the moon, the stars, and all the other collective wonders of the heavens, this psalm is like the cutting edge. It's like the tip of a, of a major, major mass of data that we have from just the scriptures alone about the heavens. And one of the things that we find, which is kind of strange, is that the heavens are described many places as having been created dynamically. And so I think that the dynamic, the, the, the universe in motion, the universe growing larger with the galaxies flying apart from each other. And get this, Nick, if you're to look out at the far edge of the universe that we can just barely see with the mo most powerful telescopes in the world, many of the galaxies are fleeing from us at 90% of the speed of light. 
Wow. I'd say that is quite a, an expansion, a dynamic expansion. And it's not that they're actually in a larger like theater of uh, three-dimensional space, like that they're just going out toward the exits of the theater. It's like the theater itself, uh, space itself is expanding. And so that's the part of the, the wonder, the amazing awe. Uh, again, a bit of, if you're looking at it from an atheist side, and saying, oh, this is just, you know, means that there was a big bang and everything's flying apart. But when they analyze the speed of the expansion and they find that it has to be precisely fine-tuned to some scientists are now saying it's higher than this, but I'll go with the very minimal, the very modest um, discoveries that we have heard announced in recent decades. Scientists have said it has to be fine-tuned, the rate of the expansion to one part in 10 to the 68th power. That's one out of 10 with 68 zeros after it. Wow. That means one part in a trillionth of 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 1%. And that expansion fine tuning by some people uh, and their reckoning after the discovery of some other aspects of the universe that they believe it's over a hundred zeros, maybe 120 zeros. So it just gets more and more fine tuned the more we learned about that rate of expansion. But just take a look, for example, at what we find in, in Isaiah. I'm gonna just jump into Isaiah. We're gonna walk through a couple of these passages. Jeremiah is gonna figure in Zechariah. Let's start with Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. And, they, and I'm just picking a couple from Isaiah. I believe that there's a total, if, I, if my memory serves me, of five of them. I'm just picking two of my favorites. Okay, Isaiah 40, awesome chapter, 40, verse 22, where it says, He sits, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. I think that's pretty amazing. On all the nations, if I can back up to verse 15, all the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. There is a moment in the movie Chariots of Fire. I think you may have seen that movie. Uh, Malcolm Ugridge. Uh, no, Char Chariots of Fire is the story of two runners in the 1924 Paris Olympics. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so that's Eric right. Eric Little Eric Liddell, and then the uh, the other fellow, the um, you know the, the student at Oxford, and and he he's from Scotland, and he uh, declines to run on the Lord's Day on Sunday, and so they they do a switcheroo of his his part in the Olympic Games from from England. But uh, he is actually in that movie. He's preaching at a at a at a church, a Protestant church in Paris, and it shows back and forth between the scenes of people str struggling as they're running the steeplechase event and falling flat on their faces in the water as they hurtle over these um, various you know um, barriers along the way. And meanwhile, he is uh, reading from the scriptures from literally Isaiah forty, and he quotes this 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 verse. The nations are like a drop in the bucket. Now, that's the cosmic perspective. And that's mm -hmm. almost like looking at it from space. And yet God loves every one of those nations and every member of every nation. He, he sent his son 
to be a savior of those nations. But in, in addition to him uh, mentioning the stretching out of heavens there in Isaiah 40, if you jump to Isaiah 45, verse 12, we see God saying again, it is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. In other words, I marshaled the stars into galaxies. I think that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Let's jump into the, the book of Jeremiah now. And uh, let's zoom in on chapter 10, verse 12, Jeremiah 10, 12. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. I think that's pretty amazing. I love the, the next verse. There's a little um, audio-visual emphasis here. When he thunders, the waters and the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth and sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. So God is behind all these processes of nature that are so impressive that grab our attention. But if you flip on over to Jeremiah at the end of the book, Jeremiah is a bit of a lengthy book, 52 chapters, but you go to chapter 51, verse 15, you see an echo of that same claim. He, God, is speaking here um, of, you know, the one who's making the earth. He made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. How's that for another wow? Yeah. Okay. And then as if that wasn't enough, let's go to Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 1. This is uh, in the NIV listed as a prophecy, the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And then it says, okay, now who is giving this prophecy? God identifies himself. You know, it's always nice to know who's sending the message. So, you know, if you look in the upper left-hand corner of an envelope, you can see who sent, at least if it's honest, <laughs> you'll see who's sending the, the, the letter. Yeah. <laughs> right. And of course, in, in, inside, hopefully it'll be signed and maybe have a, a heading at the top too. Right. It doesn't work the same way with, with spam calls. No, no spam calls. You don't know who's, who's about to invade your privacy. But here in, in Zechariah 12, right after the opening where it says, this is a prophecy, it says, the Lord who stretches out the heavens, Notice that the Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth and who forms the human spirit within a person declares, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends the nations reeling, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then the entire three chapters, which is some of the most famous prophecy in the whole Bible, including the return of Christ to rule over the earth in righteousness and peace, including the death of Christ for our sins. Right there in chapter 12 of Zechariah, there's a reference to the piercing of Christ, which is pretty awesome. But in that, in that chapter, God says, okay, I want to let you know the God who's giving this prophecy is the same God who stretched out the heavens and then who laid the foundation of the earth and who created the spirit of man within him. So from the largest to the most small and intimate, you know, the human spirit, from the most grand thing that we can see with our telescopes, down to the most, uh, you know, tiny, um, intimate detail of our consciousness and our memory and our experience. They're all created by God. The capacity to love God is created, is given to us as a gift. And of course, this forgiveness is offered as a gift uh, that we don't have to earn or merit or deserve. 
God gives it as a free, totally free gift. And that's part of the wonder that God stretches out the heavens, but he stretches out his, his arms on the cross through Christ to lay down his life in our place and then rise again, smashing, just um, destroying, annihilating the enemy of death. And, uh, and I think that's pretty amazing. Now, uh, wouldn't it be amazing if we then tried to locate God within the cosmos? So this is a trick question. Are you ready, Nick, for a trick question? I think so. Okay. And you're going to really like me for this since I haven't prepped you. you see, you're probably thinking, <laughs> what is Woodward, what is Dr. Woodward going to do now? Okay. So where in the cosmos is God? Where in this cosmos is God? Um, do I say everywhere or what? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You get, you, you get an A and, and, and we can move that up to an A plus he's everywhere. God is omnipresent in this grand and expanding universe. And, um, and so let me just ask you, where else is he? <laughs> this is really a trick, a trick question. Oh man. Now it's getting tough. In the cosmos is the oh, question? Yeah. Okay. Now you. Now you're. Now you're. You're. You're doing. That's a really good. You answer a question with a question, and that's smart. You get an A plus. <laughs> okay. So here's where Paul is talking about God is not far from any one of us when he speaks to the Athenian philosophers. Okay, the smartest people in the world gathered there in Athens. He says God is not far from any one of us, and he's and he's seeking us. He wants. He's he wants us to grope and find him. He wants to make that connection. He wants a personal relationship with us. But if you see the dedication in 1 Kings chapter 8 of the new temple, King Solomon says, uh, we thank you, God, for filling the temple. But even this temple and even the heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain thee. So God is not only is, is, is um, omnipresent, God not only fills the universe, but he overflows the universe. Let me just state, state that a little theological truism again. God not only fills the universe, he overflows the universe. And sometimes if I'm teaching this in my theology class here at Trinity College in Tampa, uh, we, I sometimes take a, a glass and I have a pitcher of water and I fill up the glass from, the, from, uh, from the, the water in the pitcher. I fill up the glass and then I have a basin underneath. And I say, so what if there's more water I want to put in the glass? What happens? And I just start pouring the water over the full glass. And you can imagine what happens to the water, right? It yeah. flows, it flows, overflows into the yeah, basin. Yeah, all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it, well, fortunately, I have the basin there. It's kind of like, you know, one of those yeah, things yeah. you stick in your, in your sink you know, to wash the dishes. And so, and so it's literally the water is dribbling over. And I said, that's the, uh, what's called the immensity. So here, here's, here's the answer for the midterm, okay? Immensity, like you, the word immense literally means so big you can't measure it. And that is God's immensity. God is omnipresent. He fills the universe. But beyond that, he overflows the universe. So God exists above and beyond space and time in kind of like a meta reality. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about nature. And then he says, beyond nature, and he says, there may be multiple natures. So if you want to believe in the multiverse, eh, I, I don't think there's any evidence for it. But if it's there, God is the creator of universe one, two, three, ad infinitum, how many universes there are, you know, parallel universes existing simultaneously, like, like bubbles, you know, sitting on, on the suds. Yeah. So 
um, basically, when when God is 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 um, nature or is super nature, that means He is uncreated, and He exists above space and time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, He has to. It's kind of like the 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 creator of your iPhone does not live in your iPhone. He has to be. And that's just a minuscule analogy for the creator of the universe. But well, I think it's an outstanding. No, I think it's a brilliant analogy. I love it. Can I use that with your permission? Oh, sure. It just, <laughs> he has to be unique of it. He has to be, he has to transcend it. Exactly. Well, let me just suggest that this reality is captured um, both in these discussions we're having on the Big Bang, but it's also captured in Psalm 113. So I'm going to be speaking here in about 30 seconds or a minute about Psalm 113 and the shock that is contained of not only God being omnipresent, but immense. That is, his, he has immensity. He overflows the universe in its fullness. So God is really, 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 really big, like infinitely bigger than even the universe. So, um, but the, so, so that's, that's where we're going with Psalm 113. But let me just say that when you talk about the origin of the universe, and there's this wonderful, you know, uh, new video that just Discovery Institute has, has put out, you know, um, and, and I think we've, we've referred people to this. It's, uh, it's just amazing. But, uh, and it's on the Big Bang. And of course, some people say, oh, I don't like the Big Bang. Some people say, I love the Big Bang. I use it in witnessing to atheists. Well, whatever you may say about the Big Bang, whether you like it or not like it, you know, the, the idea of the Big Bang is fundamentally very friendly to theism, to Christian theism. Why? Because it says in the beginning, there was nothing, absolutely nothing physical, no time or space, no matter, no energy. And it suddenly just existed and began to expand. Well, you can't have a something coming from a nothing. That's the ultimate bottom line discussion point. And even Robert Jastrow, the agnostic astronomer, turned toward the theological option, sort of in a weird swerve at the very end of his book, God and the Astronomers, and says, you know, for the scientist who's lived his, his life by trusting the materialist cosmos picture, you know, the story ends like a bad dream. He's, he's climbing the mountains of ignorance. He's crossing over the final rock. And when he reaches the final peak and pulls himself over that last rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who've been sitting there for centuries. And so that famous ending of Jastrow's book, God and the Astronomers, is like iconic. That is probably the most famous statement of an honest agnostic in the history of science, this professor of physics at, at Dartmouth College. So now what do we find uh, besides the, the, the idea of the Big Bang uh, literally kind of nudging us toward a God concept? And I'm, I'm not trying to endorse you know, any particular version of the Big Bang theory. I'm just saying whether you like it. Uh, you know, love it, reject it, hate it, you know, uh, are puzzled by it. Whatever you may say about the Big Bang Theory, it does point to uh, a, a quandary, a mystery, an enigma. And that is you can't have something, the universe, at the very beginning of that timeline coming from nothing. But in Psalm 113, and I know our time's just about out, it says, from the rising of the sun, Psalm 113, verse 3, where it sets, to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, okay, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. So it says that he has to get on his hands and knees and use a microscope 
to see the heavens, the universe, and the earth. And you see a picture, again, of God's awesome greatness, his vastness. And yet the thing that hits me is it says he raises the poor from the dust and lives the, lifts the needy from the ash heap. So even though we're not big physically, you know, geometrically, if you measure our, our volume and our size, but we're big on God's radar screen that gives himself to those in need and in his love meets that need. I think it's pretty exciting. Back to you, Nick. I think so too. It's so amazing. And, and for those listening, contrary to what the atheist would say, even though you are just a speck in terms of your size and in terms of uh, you know, so on and so forth, you're actually immensely valuable. Um, you are created in God's image, meaning you know right from wrong, meaning you have value and meaning God loves you so much that he died on a cross in order to save you. And if you receive that gift of Christ, please let us know. Send us an email at information at apologetics.org. And we'll see you back here next week on The Universe Next Door.